0: If you have your Bibles with you, um, please take them with me to Colossians uh, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, there's some in the, in the pew back in front of you, um, and you can take one and turn with us. Uh, the passage that you can follow along, uh, Colossians chapter 4. Check it. Uh, Yes. I'm on my end. Good? All right. Good deal. Um, So we're going to look at this morning, uh, spend some time looking together at how it is we ought to speak, and specifically how we ought to speak about the gospel, about Christ, about what he has done for us. As believers in Jesus, we've been given a great task. And that task is, as Jesus said, um, in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission, Jesus said uh, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We were to... To make disciples and to teach them everything that Jesus taught. And that happens through speaking, right? Using our mouths, we, we proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And in this gospel, this good news, probably um, the, the most concise kind of summary, description, um, most concise giving of the gospel that we find in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 15 in, in verses 3 and 4. And there it says, Jesus died for us and for our sins, according to the scriptures, according to the the Old Testament, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Again, about as uh, close and concise as we can get. Um, And and there are many tools that we have when we go and try to explain this to people, to share this truth um, with, with the people we love. And we want them to know the truth of who Christ is and what he's done. We, I mean, we've got things like, uh, sometimes we use tracts, maybe, or um, the Romans road is, is one uh, different verses in Romans to walk them through this truth. There, there, there are many different ways to do this. My, my favorite uh, kind of method and, and, and way to share this, to, to start a conversation, kind of branch out from it a little bit is um, thinking in my mind of this this kind of four-part outline of God, man, Christ, and response. Um, from 9 Marks, from, from Mark Dever, he, he's the one that I, I learned this from, and I think is a great way to communicate these truths of the gospel and what it means to be a disciple. And so what we want to do is, as I'm thinking of these four words in my mind, I'm, I'm kind of, we want to go then and kind of elaborate, tell people what, what Scripture says. About each one of these, so who is God and what has He done, and, and who is, who are we as human beings, and and why is that a problem, and and what has Christ done, um, then to to solve that problem. So uh, again, we we start with God. He's the Creator of all things. He's He's perfectly holy. He's perfect in purity. Uh, he, he's worthy uh, of worship. He, he's perfectly just, and He will punish sin. He will uh, in in physical death, and then. Um, there's eternal death in, in hell. And who mankind, who are we? All people, we're, we're sinful by nature, through our connection to Adam as, as his descendant. And, and so we're alienated from God. We're, we're hostile. We are enemies of God, Scripture says. And therefore, we deserve, we have earned his wrath on us as punishment for both our sin nature, connection to Adam, and also our willful, sinful actions. But Christ, Christ, God the Son, taking on human flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all who would believe in him as as their substitute. He, He took the wrath they deserved for their sin, and he rose from the grave in order to give his people eternal life. And then, because of these truths that we've heard proclaimed, there is then a response. There must be a response. A call to repent of their sins, to to turn away from sin, right? To stop doing it. To come with true, genuine, godly sorrow that we've, we've offended God and we ask Him for forgiveness and we trust in Christ in order to be Saved. Very, very quick kind of outline of these truths. And then I appreciate very much um, how, how uh, Pastor Mark Dever he, he includes uh, three additional things here under this response. He says this, this response is costly. This is not a, a mere decision and, and praying a prayer. It's, it's a fundamental change in, in the affections of the heart and the will You know, Jesus spoke of of daily dying to self. And and so for anyone that would come to him, as as Steve Lawson would say, it will cost you everything. It's costly. Secondly, it is also urgent. Um, None of us knows what the future holds. We don't know how long we have. Therefore, we, we must respond. We must repent and believe now. And finally, though this response is costly, it is by all means worth it. It is worth it. What joy it is to have a heavenly Father, to have a Savior, to know Him and to worship Him, to have peace that that passes all understanding, to have the gift of eternal life. No more pain or no more sorrow, no more death. Unending and unceasing praise and communion with the Lord. We, we read in, in Romans, Paul writes, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so I find this outline is very helpful in, in knowing the truth of the gospel and, and how to share it with those who don't know it, It's a good tool, right? It, it's a resource. It, it's something that to kind of springboard from and, and to get into Great conversation. But this doesn't really answer all the questions for how we want to go share, does it? There, I mean, how exactly do we do this? Are we, when do we do this, right? Do you, you just go up to a stranger and start like reciting point number one to him? This day and time in a lot of places that's probably a pretty good way to get shot. Not, I mean, it, that could be bad, right? How, how do we do this? How do we go and, and share this With people, we we need to know more about this. The incredible thing is that scripture is sufficient. It's sufficient to teach us all we need to know about the gospel and about sharing it with others. And so one place that we learn more about how to do this, how to share, we have further guidance on this, is our text this morning in Colossians chapter 4. So, please follow along with me. We're going to read uh, verses 2 to 6. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us, may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So this morning we're going we're gonna to look at five truths that we find in these verses of how it is that we are to speak concerning Christ and his gospel. So the first thing we're going to see in this text, we're, we are to speak prayerfully. Speak prayerfully. We see this in, in verses 2 to 4. There, the, the, the Apostle Paul, he's asking the believers in the church at Colossae that they would pray for him as he seeks to, to share the truth of the good news with others. Now, there's a, a couple of things about this that are very fascinating when, when we consider uh, some things about the Apostle Paul. Um, first of all, when we consider who Paul was, he was educated by, by the finest uh, scholars of the day in the Old Testament, in the scriptures. Uh, very well educated man. He, he was also very gifted and intelligent just in general. I mean, we can go look at, for example, look at the vocabulary and the the structure and and the logical argument of of the flow of the book of Romans, right? He's an extremely gifted and intelligent man. Um, He was privileged to see the risen Christ from the dead. He personally saw him, personally spoke to him on the road uh, to Damascus. And he's the author of much of the New Testament Scriptures, much of what we have was written by Paul. So if the thing is, if there was ever a man who was capable of sharing the truth in his own wisdom and, and his own abilities, it would have been Paul. And yet, we see here that he asked these believers to pray for him. And it's so instructive to us. It's a supernatural thing that happens. We're not talking about mere transfer of information, right, of historical events. That's, it's not merely that. Or, or following some pattern or formula um, to, to, to share something with someone. It, it requires supernatural wisdom and supernatural power and supernatural enabling that comes only through prayer. No matter who we are, no matter what we know, we must pray for God to change hearts and to save people For his glory. Request uh, that Paul gives here for this prayer is also fascinating when we consider where Paul was. Um, He says there in verse 3, on account of which I am in prison. In prison, not necessarily the the request that that I would think of would come first. Like the first request would be like, get me out of here. Right? A, prayer, a prayer to be released from, from prison and get out of the circumstance that he's in. But instead, Paul here looks to, he's not looking to better himself in his current situation. He views his current situation through, through an eternal and a selfless lens. I mean, there were guards there that he would speak to, uh, perhaps other prisoners, maybe people that would, would visit, right? anyone that he would come into contact with during his imprisonment. They, they needed the truth of the gospel proclaimed to them more than anything else. More than Paul needed relief from suffering, more than he needed freedom, uh, more than he needed release from temporary physical bondage. Those who were without Christ needed freedom from eternal Spiritual bondage. Again, it's it's so instructive for us. I mean, how often do we look at our current life situations and struggles from a very self-centered point of view? Instead of realizing and believing and trusting that God is sovereign in all things. He is in control of every molecule in the universe, every situation, every circumstance. And perhaps he's placed us in the place we find ourselves and in the circumstances that we find ourselves that we might proclaim the truth to those who desperately need to hear it. Also, request for prayer is interesting when we we consider why Paul asked for it here. He he asked first that, that God may open a door for the word. God may open a door. We, we use the same figure of speech now um, as this. For a door to be open is to have an opportunity, right, to do something. So, um, you know, you say, I've been to, to several job interviews. I'm just waiting for that, that right door to open, right? It means you want the, the right opportunity for the right job. But notice here the object that Paul desires, a, a door to open for here. It, it's not himself walk through or for another person to walk through, but rather he desires a door to be open for the word, for the word. It's the word which must go forth to bring about new spiritual life, to bring about salvation, to bring about transformation in the heart, in the soul. This is a reminder of what Paul had already written to them back in chapter one. He wrote, you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Peter wrote uh, something very similar to his readers. He, He told them that they had been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Then he quotes from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It is the word that does the work. It is the word that bears fruit. It is the word that brings about life. It is the word that remains forever. So, so it's not that Paul here seeks a chance to share, again, in his own wisdom, but that he might share the truth of the Scriptures. And this is so encouraging for us. It's so encouraging as we seek to share with other people because we see it's not ultimately about our convincing speech, that is effective. It's not ultimately about complex intellectual arguments that say it's the word of God in the gospel, rightly and faithfully shared, that brings change, and that brings transformation, that brings life. We see this, an example of this would be in in Peter's sermon in Acts 2. Acts 2, he goes through, and, and basically he just quotes verses from the Old Testament. He just starts quoting Old Testament verses. And after that he says, basically this man Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled in his death and his resurrection all of these verses I just quoted to you. That was his sermon and and at the end of the chapter we read about 3000 souls were saved that day. It is the word it is the word that does the work. Paul also asks here, uh, in these verses, that he be able to declare the mystery of Christ. To be able to share the truth of who Jesus is, again, according to the Old Testament. To declare to them the truth of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. To to faithfully share this plan of God from, from before the foundation of the world. To save a people for himself. It's now been revealed in the coming of God the Son in human flesh. And so Paul desires this opportunity to do this. And third, Paul asked that he might uh, be able to make this mystery clear. He might make it clear. Um, it, it means literally to make known, or, or to make known through teaching. Um, so we, we just finished talking about this this fact that it is, it is the word, right? It is the gospel faithfully proclaimed that brings salvation and brings life. That is 100% true, absolutely. However, it, that doesn't absolve us from our responsibility, right? To, it doesn't remove from us anyway this, this responsibility of doing everything we can w- with the abilities that we have to speak and to explain that, that God's given us and, and by the spirit working in us, To share in a way that those who are hearing will best understand, right? We all have have nuances to the way our brains work, and so things said one way don't uh, we don't understand them as well as we might things said another way, right? This happens with with Stacy and I um, every once in a while. Like I'll I'll be talking to Stacy about um, something that I'm I'm either reading or, or or studying, or something like that, and we'll talk about it that morning, and I'll, I'll talk to one of my, my buddies about it, and I'll come home and I'll say, Stacy, Michael had this great point about this, and he said, da-da-da-da. And Stacy would be like, yeah, that is a great point, because it's the same one I told you this morning before you left. <laughs> well, why didn't you say it that way? And I would understand. Right, it happens a lot. We, we all have experienced that, that kind of thing. So, so here Paul's asking the Colossian believers, to pray that the Lord would help him to, to be able to shape this presentation of the gospel in a way that would, would be most effective to the ones that would hear. Um, and this idea is very closely related to a, a point we'll look at a little later on this morning, and, and there we'll see more examples uh, of this um, in a way that we, we share with others. But I want you to see here that, that as Paul seeks to share the truth, that that. He's not doing it in some kind of cavalier way or or, or a way in his own strength or his own wisdom. Instead, he seeks to do so prayerfully and clearly. And so how often, that as we see this, are are we seeking the face of God on behalf of those who are lost around us? How often do we we cry out to him with all of our might, asking him to, to equip us to to give us the words, to give us the opportunity to take the word and to go and to share with them. May this be a priority in our lives. So we see that uh, we must share prayerfully. Secondly, this morning, we're going to see from this text that we should share about the gospel when we speak to others wisely. We need to do it with wisdom, and we see this in Verse 5, there we read, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Outsiders are those outside of the church or, or outside of the church membership. In other words, they're, they're non-believers. So for us, it would be those in our families, those in our neighborhoods, those, our classmates, co-workers that are not born again. And, and to walk here is a, a figure of speech that refers to our manner of life. Right, how, how we live, how we speak, how we behave, our attitudes, that we display our actions towards others, interactions with other people. We walk in wisdom towards outsiders. The um, English commentator, Matthew Poole, he had a, a very helpful treatment of this. Um, and he, he said that we, we walk wisely towards outsiders in, in two ways. Um, and I thought this was very helpful. He said, first of all, we walk wisely toward outsiders by not giving them a reason to stumble. We don't give them a reason to, to stumble. We, we do not want in any way the way that we speak or the way that we behave towards and around non believers to be a hindrance for them coming to faith. Right? We, we read this in uh, places like Titus. And Paul writes, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So then an opportunity may be put, so that sorry, the, an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Right? And, and so it's very difficult then to, to share the gospel with, for example, with a coworker. And at the same time, slander that coworker behind their backs to other people. It, it, it's very difficult to, to share the gospel with a family member and then not keep your word to that family member. Or if, uh, we can think about it, those in the community that, that know us to be believers. And then we behave in a less than, than stellar manner at a, at a child or or grandchild's sporting event or something like that. Right? We, we can think of all kinds of different examples that that we could give, but people are, they're they're watching, and they're listening, and they can put two and two together, you know, they can see a discrepancy there, and so we we don't want that to be the case, instead we want to, as Jesus says, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, or as Paul wrote to the the church in, in Philippi, to be, be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked uh, crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So as much as we can, let us not give unbelievers a reason to stumble. And then when we do and we will because even, even as believers we still fight against this remaining sin nature in us. Then let us be the ones that go and model to them repentance and humility. Telling them we, we realize we were wrong and genuinely seeking their forgiveness. Not giving others a reason to stumble. Secondly, we walk wise towards outsiders by not being infected by their practices. Um, it it, it kind of makes me think of, of Solomon in the Old Testament. We, we look at the prayer of, of dedication to the, the temple that, that Solomon gave. And it's such a, a wonderful, this God-centered, God-focused, God-glorifying prayer that he gives. We look at the book of Proverbs and, and all the wisdom there and, and all the things that, that Solomon accomplished. During his life. But. The Lord had given his people. A command. And the command was not to marry. From the nations around them. Solomon did anyway. and and We read one of the most. You know one of the saddest most tragic verses. In scripture it says. For when Solomon was old. His wives turned away his heart. After other gods. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David, his father. So marrying these women from the nations, from the pagan nations around them, in spite of all his wisdom, he was infected with their idolatrous practices. also thought of an illustration that that was used in one of the lessons um, with our students about this lesson on this topic. And, And what they said was, Imagine taking a chocolate chip cookie and putting it in a Ziploc bag with a freshly cut onion and seal it up and let it sit for a while, and then come back and take a big bite out of that cookie. Guess what? It's going to smell and it's going to taste like onion, right, because it's been in there with it. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. Do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Right? What is your problem? You're with these non believers, you're being influenced by them and behaving like them. You must be wise in our own lives and in our actions, and in our words when we seek to share the truth with those around us. So we've seen that we must uh, speak of the gospel prayerfully. We must speak wisely. Uh, Also we see in verse 5 that we must share the gospel with those around us urgently. You see there in uh, the end of the verse it says, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of time. When you think about it, time is that one commodity that it is, it's necessarily being, com- being depleted, right? It's going, it's taken away. There, there's nothing that we can do to stop it. it it's the one thing that we, we can't get any more of, right? We can't buy any more of it, we can't earn any more of it, we can't make any more of it. So the question then is, is what is the, the best and the wisest use of our time that we do have with non-believers? And, and when we look at this, it's not, um, not so much necessarily about um, making the sharing of the truth with non-believers like a, a separate thing all to its own, like this, some special or, or specific separate event that happens. You know, where you're like, now I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to share the truth with these people. Not that that's a, it's not a bad thing to have time specifically set aside to, to do that. But we should see all of our time around non-believers as an opportunity to share with them. We, we live Christ-centered lives with, with Christ-centered speech and, and Christ-centered behavior. It right? should just flow out of us it's, as natural as, as breathing. I mean, this is who we are. It's how we live. What we treasure and what we value and what we love and what we're interested in is what comes up in our conversations with other people. That's the way life works. And if that's true, then as believers, that which we treasure and that which we value is Christ. So it's it's normal in our conversations to talk of him. It's normal to to confess sin with others, to to, to talk about how the Lord is working to change us. There's no special time or way that that it happens. It just does. Again, it's who we are. Our, Our lives revolve around him, what he's done for us, and how we are to live for him. And by living that way, we're making the best of every opportunity because the time is short. We read earlier in 1 Peter when he quoted from Isaiah that all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers and the flower falls. Elsewhere in Scripture, our lives are compared to a vapor right, or a breath. It's here and it's gone. So we must take every opportunity that we have to seek to speak the gospel to those around us. Again, I'm reminded of the few lines that um, missionary C.T. Studd wrote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Must share urgently. A fourth truth we see this morning uh, from our text is that as believers, we're to speak the gospel graciously. Graciously, we, And we see it in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. Um, the, nef- the definition of the word gracious here means a-, a winning quality or an attractiveness. Something that invites a favorable reaction. Um, we could use words maybe winsome or a- appealing would be a- another word we could use. Now, something very important to note. Here, this is, we are not talking about salesmanship. Right? That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're not talking about you know, putting on a show to, to make the Christian life look appealing and attractive. What we're talking about here is that through our speech and our actions about Jesus and about the gospel, we portray the good news as appealing and as attractive as it actually is a big difference between those two. We, we desperately want people to know the goodness and the sweetness and the assurance and the peace and the joy that comes from knowing and walking with Christ. And so we, we share with them what the, the, the scriptures say about the promises that comes to those who are children of God. And you can see the, the qualifying kind of phrase there in, in the middle of the verse, seasoned with salt. Speech should be seasoned with salt. It, salt, it, it enhances flavor, right? It enhances taste. It, it makes food more enjoyable. It also, it, it purifies. It, it, it can preserve, right? It prevents decay and, and corruption and rot. And so should our words and our interactions be with nonbelievers believers. I love the way that one of the the older commentaries uh, put it. And it said, the the Christian's conversation should be cheerful without levity. Or it should be full of joy without being flippant or, or, or trivial or silly. And yet it should also be serious without gloom or without sadness, without pessimism. So it's this balance between these two ideas of of cheerfulness and seriousness that we approach the non-believer with the gospel. Final point we want to look at this morning, that we should share the gospel with others appropriately. Appropriately. At the end of verse 6, there Paul writes that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Um, again, it's very closely related to the clarity that we talked about before. You know, as, as human beings, we're all unique. We have different backgrounds. We, we've had different experiences. We have different personalities, different ages, levels of maturity, um, levels of spiritual maturity, different education, different training, different stages of life that we're in. It, it, there are all kinds of different variables that make up each one of us. And therefore, there will be different ways in which we can approach different individuals with the truth. And, and, uh, you know, as they come with their different questions that they might have for us and they ask us and and ways that we can share with them that will be more clear or or more easily understood. And so we're not not talking here about um, watering down the content of the gospel. The good news is the good news stays the same, but but there can be some things that that we might, um, uh, again, try to to mold and and shape. Um, For example, some things could be vocabulary, right? Vocabulary because of age, maybe, of the person we're sharing with, or um, if the person we're sharing with, maybe they speak English as a second language, right? So there would be a a, a need to to change the vocabulary of, of the words that we use. Um, we might change some of the illustrations or examples we've used in, in a conversation with someone based on maybe their job or what they do or, or something like that. It will be more readily understood by them. Um, we, we can know what to, what to emphasize and, and not emphasize when we're talking to them. Right? It, for example, if somebody comes to us and they, they are truly convicted of their sin and their guilt before God, then we don't have to keep taking them back to the law, right, and, and pointing out their guilt and their shame and their vileness before God because they're, they're already there. So we can move on and, and talk about mercy and forgiveness and atonement and justification and, and all of those things. Right? Or if we're talking to someone that may be coming from a different religious background, then it would be good to know about that, that religion in order to be able to, to talk with them. So, so all of these different ways that we can, we can know how it is that we are to answer those that we speak with and that we meet. And so as we think about this morning, um, these points, as we think about these verses and, and Paul writing these and how we, we can apply this to taking and to sharing the truth With others, like I said, we've we've all got different areas of our lives where we can apply them. With our family and our friends and our classmates and our our co-workers. Um, We could, you know, get involved in going to other cities or other states or going um, to countries around the world. and, And doing the work of missions, taking the gospel to those that do not believe. It's all great, great stuff. But I do, I want to encourage you this morning that we not forget the primary area where missions and discipleship takes place, and it's in our families and our homes. Right? We have, especially as men, we've got this tremendous privilege, but also this, this grave responsibility to be, to be the student of Scripture, to be the theologian, to be the pastor in our home. It's our calling and our responsibility just by virtue of who we are as men and believers. Leading and sanctifying our wives by, by diligently seeking to grow in our knowledge of and our, our relationship with the Lord and, and growing in purity and, and obedience to him and then sharing with them and encouraging them in their continued walk with the Lord. Right? As Christ sanctifies his bride, the church, so we lead our brides and sanct to him. And it is definitely true with our children. The the greatest mission field that we have before us. An incredible responsibility to teach and to tell and to guide them in in every way we know how. To model it for them. to, To pray with all of our being that God would work in them to save them. You know, we all, think about it, we all love when our our children succeed, right, in in anything, academically or sports or or arts. But in the end of the day, what we really want for our children, our, our heart's desire is that they be disciples of Jesus. That they love him with all their heart. That they praise and serve him all of the days of their lives and then for an eternity after that. So as, as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, uh, uh, teachers here in Sunday school and, and in the evenings, our are, are children who have not yet repented and, 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 and placed their faith in Christ, they must have the gospel faithfully, clearly, spoken to them prayerfully and wisely urgently and graciously and appropriately. It's of internal importance. And then from our homes we branch out to neighbors and coworkers and to the rest of the world. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to digest. It's a lot to, um, to pray through and to be obedient to this morning. And, and my prayer is that God would just help us as a congregation to see and to understand and then to obey. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the sufficiency of your word, how how it tells us all that we need. Father, give us hearts that desire to take the truth and to take it rightly to those who so desperately need it. Father, I pray that you would work this morning in our hearts. Father, bring, edify us, bring about uh, conviction, bring about, uh, Lord, peace, bring, bring about encouragement in our hearts as we look through and see the, these truths of Scripture, Lord. May you work among your people. And so, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.